church celebrated their 150th anniversary on Wednesday and was able to preach there last Sunday and saw a lot of the staff members that I served with, saw um, three ministers of music that I served with, and there were two more that could have came, and uh, I used to think minister of music were allergic to me until Brother Danny came along, and, uh, but I got to see several staff members and folks I'd baptized over the years, and it was just a good time, but it's, it's good to be home, and so thank you for the opportunity to do that. You know, in the Apostle Paul's day, uh, they, had, they were very much a society that was sports-crazed like we are today. You know, if you don't believe we, we live in a sports-crazed society, come with me when I umpire a high school varsity baseball game. I think that'll change your opinion, all right? Uh, you, some of the, the way the, the, the folks act out there. But in Paul's day, they had four different sets of games. They had the Olympic Games that came around every four years, just like they do now. They had the Pythian Games, which were every four years, and those were held in honor of the god Apollo, Isthmian games every two years to honor the god Poseidon. And the interesting thing about the Isthmian games is they were competitions in both music and athletics. And then they had the Nemean games honoring Zeus. And again, it was the same as the Isthmian games, music and athletics every two years. They would stagger the dates of the, the games so that all of the athletes could make it to all of the competitions and all of the people who had the resources could also make it there and, and, and be able to watch and be able to cheer. And so um, they, they were varied events, music and, and athletic, but the, the events, much like today's Summer Olympics, the events that garnered the most attention were the track and field, specifically the, the marathon. I want to preach to you today a sermon entitled Running the Race. Running the Race, Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read the first two verses, and then we're going to stop and reflect on what those mean and what the Lord might teach us today. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I invite you to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God. Reading from the New King James, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who... For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God bless the reading of his word. Go ahead and be seated. There are several things in the text that I want to point out to you today. The first thing I want you to notice with me is what I call the contest. The contest. The writer of Hebrews says, let us run. Speaking, and the word there would have been used for a competition. Now, we're competing against ourselves, in essence. We're not competing against anybody else, but we are to run a race. There's a lot of figures of speech used for uh, followers of Jesus. There's here, we're told to run. We're called sheep, soldiers, the bride of Christ. But God has a race for every one of his followers. The writer of Hebrews doesn't address this to whom it may concern. He's writing to the church under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, let us, the church, run. The runners here are believers who qualified for the race because they were born again. They're not running to get into heaven. They're not running in order to be saved. They are running because they are saved, because they're on their way to heaven. At the ancient games, the emperor would show up, and he would sit in oftentimes a, a velvet-lined box. And, and it was a huge thing for the emperor to stand in his box and to look down at the, at, the, at the competitors and to cheer them on. Friend, let me tell you, the Lord Jesus is in glory today. 
And I believe that he is looking down and cheering us as we run our race. He's telling us to finish and to finish well and to finish strong. Are you in the race? Not if you've never trusted the Lord. If you have trusted the Lord, you're in the race whether you know it or not. Some have been in the race and then you sat down on the track. You just stopped. Something happened and you quit. And you're just sitting there in the middle of the race, sitting on the track. God's word to you today would be to get up and run, to finish the race. The word race there is the Greek word agon. We get, we get our word agony from it. And, and so uh, when he says running a race, sometimes it is agonizing. You know, sometimes life can be that way, can't it? As you run your race. Those who are marathoners, I, I'm not a marathoner, I was always a sprinter, but the marathoners say that when you reach a certain distance, every marathoner, it's a different distance, but they hit what's called the wall. They hit the wall, and it's at that point they make a decision. I'm either going to stop, or I'm going to push through this, and when they push through it, they're able to finish the race. Friend, I, I know a lot of Christians, and, and every one of us, at some point in our life, we spiritually hit the wall. We, we, we make a choice at that moment. Am, am I going to push through this and finish well, or am I just going to sit on the track and pout, quit? We're to, to run our race, and it's a personal race. Listen, I'm not running against you, and you're not running against me. But not only is it personal, it's permanent. As long, listen, if you are alive today, check. If you have a pulse, <laughs> if you do, you're still in the race. God's not, he's not finished your race for you if, you've, if you're still here. Every one of us should be running the race. Now, the text tells us how to win the race. The second thing I want to draw your attention to is the crowds. Since, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. When you see the word therefore, you ask, what's it there for, Right? And so when verse 1 begins with the word therefore, we have to ask, okay, so what's it there for? In chapter 10, if you were to look, the second to last verse, verse 38 says, now the just shall live by faith. And then the entirety of chapter 11 is spent talking about all of, uh, many of the Old Testament saints who lived by faith. I mean, there's Abel there who was killed by his brother because he offered the better sacrifice the way that God wanted it. Enoch, who walked with God. You know, the Bible says that one day Enoch was not. I believe what happened is they're out walking and, and uh, God looks at Enoch and he says, you know, Enoch, it's almost sundown and today we're, we're closer to my house than we are yours. Why don't you just go home with me? And Enoch did. There's, there's a reference to Daniel and the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's, there's David who killed Goliath, Moses who led an obstinate people, Abraham. I, I thought, because of all of those who ran before us, therefore, because of the example of faith they exhibited, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, they are the witnesses. I mean, listen, in 60-some years history of Eastwood Baptist Church, every saint who was a member here who was with the Lord is in that cloud of witnesses. They lived a life of faith for us to follow. If we were honest, some of you here are thinking about dropping out of the race, just quitting. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you lost a family member, a spouse or a child. 
Maybe um, you've lost your health. There in the cloud of witnesses, Job raises his hand. He says, let me testify. In one day, I lost all of my kids. I lost my wealth, the ability to make wealth. I lost my health. My friends accused me of sin, and my wife told me to curse God and die. So I've been there, and I've done that. Hang in there. You can make it, Job says. Maybe today you'd say, you know what? I've been mistreated. Life isn't fair. It isn't. It just isn't. But maybe today you've been mistreated. And Joseph from the book of Genesis raises his hand and said, I'll give a witness to that. My brothers sold me as a slave. I then was imprisoned wrongly, found guilty of, of sexual misconduct because I wouldn't have sex with a woman. And then my friends forgot about me, but here's what I found out. God had me right where I needed to be so that when, my, when the famine hit, I was second in command in Egypt and so I could spare the lives of my people. Joseph says, life is, God is good even when life is not. Some of you today would say, you know, pastor, I'm facing the biggest obstacle I've ever faced in my life. Maybe today it's your marriage and you're saying, I don't know if we can get over this hurdle. I don't know that we're going to make it. Maybe, maybe it's a health diagnosis or a business that's about to go belly up and you're facing the biggest obstacle you have ever faced in your life and you, you see no way around this. David raises his hand and says, let me testify. One day I faced the largest man who ever walked the face of the earth, had nothing but five smooth stones and a slingshot, and with the help of God, I killed him. And when I killed him, every other giant began to fall. I found it was a whole lot easier to kill giants once you killed the biggest one. With God's help, you can make it, David says. You can beat this. Maybe today, you know what you say, I've sinned, and, and because of that, God's washed his hands of me. You know, I, I feel like God is through with me because my sin has been so great that uh, he's not going to use me anymore. Again, David raises his hand kind of sheepishly this time, and he says, let me testify. I committed adultery. And then I committed murder trying to cover it up. But I found that 1 John 1, 9 is true. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Today, if you've committed great sin and you think God is through with you, go back and read Psalm 51. That's, that's David's prayer of repentance, his confession. And, and you need to pray something like that. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. T take the guilt from me. If you'll do that, the book of Acts, Luke says that David was a man after God's own heart. So God's not through with you yet. Some of you would say, you know, things are tough financially. These are tough times. Things are tough financially, and I can't, I can't afford to give to the Lord's work the way that I want to. I understand that. Some of you would know the name George Diamond. George was a longtime member here at Eastwood. He's in that cloud of witnesses today, and what you may not know about George is because George never wanted, wanted it publicized, but back in one of the capital campaigns to build a building before I ever came to be the pastor, George and Mrs. Diamond took out a second mortgage on their home so that they could make a contribution to the building campaign. He would say, listen, God's faithful. God saw us through that. We just did what God told us to do, and God honored it. And I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm just telling you that he testifies that God is faithful. 
Some of you maybe today would say, you know, the doctors have said to get my affairs in order because there's not much else they can do. In that cloud of witnesses, the woman by the name of Mary Deering, who I used to be her pastor in East Tennessee, I remember sitting in her living room one day and she told me this story. She said, I was in Baptist Hospital in Knoxville and the doctors called my family in and they said, she is not leaving here except to meet her maker. Thirteen years later, I had the privilege of doing her funeral. The doctors are practicing medicine. They don't know. Only God knows. Some of you have served God faithfully and you've, you've had it thrown back in your face. Maybe it's even been by other Christians and, and, and they've maybe called you a little extreme or fanatic. I believe in the cloud of witnesses, my predecessor, Brother Mike Lee, stands. And he says, I served faithfully for years and at times it wasn't easy, but I found out that God is faithful even when man is not. We are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses because of those who have lived the life of faith before us. Notice third, the conditioning. If you're running a race, you don't want to have anything that slows you down. And the writer of Hebrews tells us there are two things that slow us down. One of them is weights. You know, you're not going to run a race in an overcoat. You know, most time when they run the race, they strip down to almost nothing. They want to be as light as they can be. Weights in and of themselves are not bad. In fact, runners often train with weights they'll put weights on their legs so that they run with the heavy weight so that when they take the weights off they feel like they can run that much faster spiritually there are weights in our life that in and of themselves are not bad but they can become bad let me give you an example um love of family or desiring to live a comfortable american life can be a weight if it stops you from fulfilling God's will for your life. What if Perry and Amanda Swack had said, you know what, we just want to live the American dream like our parents. We, we just want to be comfortable and have a good life. Nothing wrong with that, but that would have been a weight that stopped them from being missionaries in a closed country in the Middle East. And so the writer says, let us lay aside the weights. Take, take those things off that would slow us down. Michael Phelps, retired swimmer, most decorated Olympic athlete ever. 28 medals, 23 of which are gold. He started swimming at the age of seven because he was very rambunctious. He was later diagnosed with ADHD, and his parents understood why he had so much energy as a kid. But, but they put him in swimming so that he would use some of that energy. Well, when he was an Olympic athlete, he trained Seven days a week, six, he swam for six hours every day, over eight miles in the pool every day. And then he would do weights, weight training three days a week. He, he, he emphasized weights for the core, so he would do push-ups push and sit-ups rather than, than lifting weights. He ate, when he was training, he ate 12,000 calories a day. If I even look at 12,000 calories a day, I'm gaining weight. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Six four hundred and eighty five pounds, and he ate twelve thousand calories. I'll bet he's not eating that many now. Here's my point. Now he didn't eat some things because they weren't good for him. In those in those twelve thousand calories, I doubt very many of them were ding dongs or Twinkies, because <laughs> he knew it wasn't good for him. His success didn't just happen. He trained hard. 
We need to constantly spiritually condition ourselves for the race that we're running. How do we spiritually condition ourselves? In the Word, in worship, in prayer, in fasting, in fellowship, in using our spiritual gifts. All of those things condition us spiritually. See, we have a unique problem. We don't often choose between good and bad as believers. We choose between good and best. See, most of you, if you're given a good and a bad choice, you will choose the good choice almost every time. But when it comes down to choosing the good versus the best, oftentimes we'll settle for the good instead of the best. And that's why we let go of the weights, because they would want us to settle for the good when we could have the best. Second thing he says is the sin, sin that so easily ensnares us. That word ensnares is a picture of a vine that would wrap itself around something. Let me ask you, if a vine wrapped itself around your legs, how easy would it be to run? You trip, right? That's the picture. The sin that trips us up, that stops us from being able to run the race that God has for us. Many of you would remember the name Mary Decker Slaney. She held the 1500, United States 1,500-meter record for 32 years. Nobody beat her time for 32 years. That's how good she was. During her career, she set 17 different world records. In the 1984 Summer Olympics in Los Angeles, pictured here, she was the, the heavy favorite for the 1,500 and the 3,000. In this race, you notice the one runner's barefoot. That's Zola Budd from Great Britain. Um, Slaney was right where she wanted to be and she's running her race and their feet got tricked up and she fell she did not finish the race and she was carried off of the track at the news conference after the race here's what mary decker slaney said i was right where i wanted to be in the race until i tripped i thought man that is so many christians so many christians are right where they want to be in the race and then something happens with sin and they trip and they either get up and finish the race or they get carried off as a person who can't finish or doesn't choose to finish. wonder how many here got to the place in your Christian life where you needed to be and one sin tripped you up. Listen, as you run your race, if, if, as you run your race of redemption, if sin crawls across the track, don't jump over it. Don't try to run through it. Run around it. Completely avoid it. Galatians 5, 7 says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Disobedience will stop you from running your race. Fourth, let me call your attention to the course. Let us run the race that is set before us. Listen, friend, we all have a course, and we're not running the same course because we're not competing against one another. In fact, every one of us have a different course that we are running, and we are the only competitor on that course. Because everybody's life is different. I'm not running against you and you're not running against me. We're running against ourselves. Sometimes, though, we get concerned about the race of other people. We want to look at other people's race. For instance, here's how it plays out. We say, you know, God, I am serving you and I'm doing everything as faithful as I can and you're blessing them and you're not blessing me like that and I think I'm more faithful than them. That's not fair. What you do when you, when you do that is you're playing God. You're saying, God, their race ought to be my race. That ought to be the race I'm running, not the one I'm on. And you can't play God. You can't focus on the race that other people are running and run your race at the same time. You can't do it. It doesn't happen. We, uh, in uh, John 21, the resurrected 
Jesus meets Simon Peter at the Sea of Galilee. Peter's went back to fishing. He's been fishing all night long and hadn't caught anything. And Jesus shows up and he doesn't re- recognize the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus tells him to put his net over on the other side. And he's, I'm, I'm thinking, he doesn't say it in the text, but I'm thinking Peter says, like, this guy's a Yahoo. I've been fishing all my life and this guy's going to tell me how to fish. And he, puts, he does it, puts the net over and has so many fish he can't pull it in. And the Bible says he recognizes it's the Lord. He jumps in and he swims to shore and he's denied the Lord three times and the Lord's restoring him into the ministry and he asks him three times, do you love me? All three times, Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. Then we get to verses 18 and 19 and Jesus says to him, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself, walked where you wished. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Historians tell us that Peter was crucified, but not wanting to die, not feeling worthy to die as his Lord, he had them crucify him upside down. And that's how he he died. But an interesting thing happens. Right after this, see, Jesus tells him to follow me. The very next verse, in verse 20, Peter turns and he sees John. And here's what he says. But Lord, what about this man? I think he's grateful for being restored in the ministry, but he turns and he sees John and he says, what about this man? Here's what Jesus said, and I want you to hear this. He said, if he remains until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. What's he saying? Don't worry about John's race. Peter, you just be the best Peter. You can be and finish your race. His race is completely different. And friend, that's what we need to do. We don't need to worry about what everybody else is doing. All we need to do is focus on our own race and run our race well. You know, I was a sprinter in high school, and some of you who don't know that, you're looking at this body and you're saying, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Looks like a sprinter to me. Um, ran the... Now they call it the 200, show you how old I am. We called it in yards back then, the 220 and the, the 4x220 relay. That's, that's what I ran. And um, when, you, when you run the 4x220, everybody runs the curve once. You have a lane you're supposed to stay in. I ran the third leg. I couldn't worry necessarily about the first runner and the second runner, and I couldn't worry about the fourth runner. All I could be concerned about was running my race to the best I could to get the baton and go and then hand it to the next person so that hopefully they could win. You didn't look around when you were running, especially when you're running the curve, because if you look around, one of two things happens. It slows you down, but not only does it slow you down, sometimes if you're looking around, you can drift, and if you crossed out of your lane, you were disqualified. Race was over for you and your team. And so you stayed focused. Friend, we should run our race of faith so that the folks who come behind us here at Eastwood Baptist Church, when we hand them the baton of faith, it will be easier for them to win because of the race we have run. That's what we ought to do. We ought to finish so well that it's easier for them to win. But if we drop the baton... It's that much harder for those who come behind us to win. Another danger, not just dropping the baton or taking our focus, another danger is celebrating too soon. See, we can't celebrate until we get to glory, but sometimes we look at our life and we say, man, God has done so much in my life, and 
I'm just going gonna, gonna to relax and take it easy for a while. We celebrate years of service. Sometimes God waits until we are older adults for our most effective years of service. What if, what if Moses at the age of 70 had said, you know what, man, I've run my race. God's been good and I think I'm going to sit back and let the younger people take over now. I've paid my my dues, now let them pay their dues. If Moses had had that attitude, he would have missed the most significant event God had for him. It wasn't until he was 80 years old that God told him, now go to Pharaoh and tell him that I said, let my people go. Friend, listen to me. Retirement in serving the Lord is an unbiblical concept. If you can show it in Scripture to me, I will change my opinion, but I can't find it anywhere. You don't retire from serving the Lord. You just expire. You die serving Him. So don't celebrate too soon. I watched a video last week of dozens of football players celebrating too soon. You know, they drop the ball before they get to the end zone or something, and you'd be amazed how many times it happens. But one time, right in the middle of the video, man, there was one that pained me worse than them all, and I just stopped the video. Couldn't watch it anymore. Super Bowl 27, my Dallas Cowboys. Put your hand over your heart when you say that. Beating the Buffalo Bills 52-17, to 17, putting a smackdown on them. And the Bills quarterback gets hit, and he drops the football. And when he drops the football, there's a big defensive lineman by the name of Leon Lett who picks it up. And he has nothing but 64 yards of green in front of him for a touchdown. He gets to the five-yard line, and he starts celebrating too soon. What he didn't know is Don Beebe, the Buffalo Bill receiver, had never stopped running. And so Leon sticks the ball out to celebrate, and when he does, Don Beebe knocks it loose through the end zone. It's a touchback. Leon doesn't score, and the Bills have the ball back. He celebrated too soon. Friend, there is a danger in our spiritual walk of celebrating too soon. Don't celebrate until you hit the the tape in glory. Finish the race. Notice what I call the courage. It says run with endurance. Some of your translations say patience. The word literally means to endure. Doesn't matter what length of race you run, it's often won or lost with endurance. Do you have the ability to keep running at the pace in which you should run? We can't quit and finish at the same time. It's impossible. When it hurts, you can't quit. You keep running. When you're disappointed, you don't stop. You quit. You don't quit. When you're discouraged and unhappy, you don't quit. When people disappoint you, and they will, you don't quit. Make up your mind right now and say, with Jesus by my side, I will run all of my race. I'll finish it. You know, we average, or, um, we, we say as Southern Baptists, we have over 17 million members. Half of which on any given Sunday, we don't know where they are. In fact, mo- most of them, we don't even know if they're alive. People have joined the church and they said, well, I used to be a member of this church years ago, but I don't know if, if I'm still a member there. And I said, listen, Baptists don't take you off the roll for nothing. You can be dead for 30 years, but if they don't know it, you're still on their roll. You're still an a, a inactive member. Um, you know, we got 1,400 members here at Eastwood. On any given Sunday, we have 850 in worship. Except Easter, we get 1,200 in worship on Easter. But of those 17 million, half of which never come, and of the other half, 25% of them are probably CEOs. You know, Christmas and Easter only. Um, 
They have quit. So many people have quit running the race. You can tell the greatness of a person by what it takes to make them quit. You know why some of the folks have quit? You know, you know why some of those 17 million have quit? Some of them quit because they had their feelings hurt. Some of them quit because of sin. Some quit because of indifference. They just didn't care. Some quit because they heard a sermon on tithing. And they went home and said, that's all they talk about is money. Listen, friend, when you hear a sermon on tithing, you should, you should be blessed by it because if you can't trust God with your money, how can you trust him with your soul? And if you can trust him with your soul, which is the most important prized possession you have, how can you not trust him with your money? Some have quit because of a hardship in their life. Things got hard and they quit. Some quit because things didn't go the way they wanted to in church, and so they quit. Some quit. Some aren't here today because it's threatening to rain. We give the Methodists a hard time, and we are the ones who are afraid of sprinkles. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Ask yourself, what would it take for me to quit serving the Lord and being a part of the church? What would it take? One person not speaking to me? One person speaking to me in a way I think they shouldn't? One vote that doesn't go my way? One sickness? One lost job? Listen to me, friend. I want to be like the Apostle Paul when he wrote to, sec when he wrote to Timothy. Paul knew he was at the end of his life, and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have what? Finished the race, and I've kept the faith. He knew within days he'd be dead, that he would be executed. And he says, you know what, Timothy? I have finished the race. I'm about to hit the tape in glory. He had courage to keep running. Listen, Jesus doesn't measure us by a stopwatch. He measures us by a yardstick. It's not how fast you run, it's how far you run that matters. Finally, last thing, let's, let's consider the coach. Looking unto Jesus. As I was preparing the sermon, I got to thinking about my own personal track coach, and he, he was a teacher, teacher at the school, but he was a lot more than just a teacher. He was a disciplinarian. Can you imagine high school boys doing things that they weren't supposed to do? I know you have a hard time getting your mind around that, but we did. And so he'd be a disciplinarian when he needed to be. He was a teacher. He would teach us how to come out of the blocks, how to hand the baton off, and those kinds of things. But one other thing that he was that really caught my attention as I thought about him is on race day, he was the greatest encourager we had. He'd get us by the shoulders and he'd look us eyeball to eyeball and he'd start telling us what we could do, how fast we could run, how we could win. And what an encouragement, man, that got us fired up and we wanted to run for him. Listen to me, friend. Jesus is, is taking us, and he says, listen, I'll discipline you when you need it. I'll teach you when you need it, but on, on race day, I want you to run, and you can win. We're told to look unto Jesus. He's the author of our faith. He's the one who put us into the race. If you're having trouble with your faith, it's likely that you're not looking unto Jesus because you don't need great faith. What you need is faith in a great God. You hear me? But not only is he the author of our faith, it says he's the finisher. And the word there means perfecter or completer. He's the one who gives us the strength to run the race. Notice it doesn't say looking at Jesus. There is a difference in looking at Jesus and looking unto Jesus. Let me help you understand what it means to look unto 
David Southern is over here. And Brother David, suppose I had a, a really big need and I came to you and I said, um, listen, David, you know, Jan and I are really in a financial bind here and, and uh, I need to borrow $10,000. You'd loan it to me, wouldn't you? Shake your head like this. All right. I'll see you after church. All right. Um, so he, he loans me the money and things don't get any better. And I have to go to David and I say, David, man, I'm sorry, but I can't pay you back. Now, I chose David because he's one of the nicest guys I know, and I know he wouldn't act this way. But just imagine, David says, no problem, I'm just going to take everything you have. You can't pay me back, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm calling the note, and, and if you can't pay me back, I'm going to take everything you own. Kevin, Kevin Wiles hears about that. And he says, uh, Pastor Tom, I hear you're in a little trouble with David. Well, yeah. And he says, look, just look under Joanna and I. We'll take care of it. Let us take care of it. And he pays a debt that he doesn't owe on a debt that I couldn't afford to pay. That's what it means to look unto Jesus as compared to looking at Jesus. Jesus says, if you will look unto me, if you will put your faith in me, I will pay the debt of sin that you cannot afford to pay, but you have to look unto me. That's why the writer doesn't say, look at me. Don't put your eyes on the devil because he will entice you and trip you up. Don't put your eyes on the sins of others that Jesus died for. Don't put your eyes on the hypocrites. You know, listen, church is the only thing we let hypocrites keep us from. If you, if you don't want to be around hypocrites, stop going to Western ball games because there's hypocrites that go to those games. Stop shopping at the Greenwood Mall because there's hypocrites that shop there. It's just an excuse. Don't put your eyes on yourself because Satan will make you feel guilty of something that is already under the blood of Christ. You know, you can look at something and never put your faith in it. You came in and you looked at the pew you were sitting in, but you didn't put your faith into it until you sat on it. You could have just looked at it and said, no, I'm not going to trust it. You can look at Jesus and never put your faith in him. You have to look unto him and trust him. You know why you should look unto Jesus? Because of God's past performance. How many of you have been desperate in your life and Jesus came through for you in a big way? How many of you would say, Pastor Tom, I have seen God answer prayers in my life. Hold up your hand. Now listen, what God did in the past, he can do, he can do in the present and in the future. You should trust him because of his past performance. Not only that, you should trust him because of his presence. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The word leave means to, to abandon or desert. The word forsake means to let you sink. In other words, some of you are dog paddling fast as you can. The only thing above water is your, your mouth and nose, and you're thinking, man, I'm about to go under. I don't know how much longer I can do this. Friend, you'd have been under by now, but the only thing that is holding you up is the unseen hand of the Lord Jesus because he said, I'm not going to let you sink. But not only trust him because of his past performance and because of his presence, but because of his power. Listen, friend, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. Acts 1.8 says that is dynamite. Dunamis is the word power. I read that the most meaningless statistic in football is the halftime score. Most meaningless statistic. Go back to February 5th, 2017 with me. The score is 21 to 3 at halftime in that Super Bowl. The Atlanta Falcons are beating the evil empire. 
New England Patriots. And uh, the Falcons are winning. And so I'm sure that when the, the Patriots went in at halftime, they could have done one of two things. They could have hung their heads and said, man, we are beat. Can't believe it. We're going to lose this. Or they could say, you know, there's another half of football. Let's go out there and play. I'll bet they felt even worse when the Falcons got the ball in the third quarter and took it down and scored a touchdown. It was 28-3, to and no team in 50 years of Super Bowl history, no team had come back from 25 points down. But the evil empire didn't hang their head. They kept playing. They, they kept giving it their all. They tied the score, sent it into overtime, and won in overtime with a touchdown. Friend, it may be halftime in your life right now, and you're thinking, there is no way I'm going to win this thing. Don't hang your head. The game's not over until the final horn sounds. Get up. Finish strong. You still may not, things may not change. You may not come out on the top end of the scoreboard, but you will hear well done because you ran your race and ran it well. Scripture says, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy of that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. How much joy can there be in a cross? I mean, I don't know of many more horrific kinds of death than to be nailed to a piece of wood and hung out naked in public for people to jeer. Die from suffocation because you can no longer force yourself up to breathe. How's that joy? Here's how. You and I are Jesus' joy. He said, I'm going to the cross so that they can go to the Father. So that they can be reconciled from their sin, be reunited with God the Father, and be in glory. That's the joy that was set before him. Us. So that we could be saved. Ladies and gentlemen, hit the tape. Finish the race. But wait until you cross over into glory to hit the tape. Let's pray. Father, I pray that, um, Lord, first of all, I know I've been guilty of looking at other people's race and thinking I ought to be running their race instead of mine. And I know I'm not the only one here that's done that. And God, I pray that you would help us just to focus on our own race. Not to worry about how you're working in somebody else's life, but just what you're doing in ours. God, I'm confident that in a group this large, there are some, there are some who have just sat down on the track. God, encourage them today to get up. Dust themselves off and finish their race. God, there are others who have never entered the race because they've never trusted the Lord Jesus to be their Savior. And I pray today would be that day. Lord, your Spirit's been drawing us, and now I pray that we would be obedient in our response. In Jesus' name, amen.